Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. The Pentagon's secret UFO unit for the full two hours. My technical producer is Carlos Cagina. Uh, there is no live stream on my YouTube channel tonight. My live stream producer, Ryan, is off enjoying a little time at the cottage. However, the live stream returns next week. In December 2017, the New York Times published an article by Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keen, which uncovered a secret Pentagon program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which investigated reports of unidentified flying objects. It was run by a military intelligence official, Luis Elizondo, on the fifth floor of the Pentagon's C-Ring, deep inside the building's maze. The Defense Department had never before acknowledged the existence of the program, which it said it shut down in 2012. Flash forward to July 23rd, 2020, and the Times published an important update from Blumenthal and Kane. Despite Pentagon statements that it disbanded a once covert program to investigate unidentified flying objects, the piece reads, the effort remains underway, renamed and tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, where officials continue to study mystifying encounters between military pilots and unidentified aerial vehicles. Pentagon officials will not discuss the program, which is not classified, but deals with classified matters. While retired officials involved with the effort, including Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader, Hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles from other worlds. Its main focus is on discovering whether another nation, especially any potential adversary, is using breakout aviation technology that could threaten the United States. Senator Marco Rubio, the Florida Republican who is the acting chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, told a CBS affiliate in Miami this month that he was primarily concerned about reports of unidentified aircraft over American military bases and that it was in the government's interest to find out who was responsible. We're going to unpack this over the next two hours. Dr. Joseph Buckman, former member of the Citizens Hearing on Disclosure in Washington, D.C. back in 2013, will be here in hour two. Roswell UFO investigator Don Schmidt is standing by. And here for the duration, special co-host, good friend of the program, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network. Victor, how are you, my friend? Welcome. Just fine, and thank you very much for uh, enjoining this fascinating topic tonight, Richard. This is going to be a real revelation to our listeners. Well, I was going to ask you for a quick impression or two on the latest New York Times article from Blumenthal and Kane. If you had to use a couple of adjectives on how you would describe your personal reaction to this article... Well, it's kind of interesting that the way the waves are are sort of lapping at the shore here, I begin the whole narrative back, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in December of 2017. And since then, things have been uh, unfolding gradually, like a slow drip. 
And each one of these revelations and exposures, if you want to call it that, by the New York Times is just another wave in how this information is coming out. And what it makes me kind of think about, Richard, is the first word that comes to my mind is orchestration and how the New York Times has chosen to take a, a really major role in this issue with Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and, and Helen Cooper. And they have, I guess, their editorial board or ownership or just editors in general have decided to jump in with both feet. And I just look at that article that came out about a week ago as just another wave in this whole kind of process of exposing things bit by bit in this slow drip orchestration that's going on. And I think we might get into this tonight with Don and Dr. Buckman, but the way it's happening, it seems to be not haphazard. There seems to be some sort of rhyme and reason as to why and how they're doing this. So that's my reaction to the whole idea behind what the New York Times is doing. Somebody is at the turnstile here uh, and, and carefully letting things out in a very, very specific and orchestrated manner. Three things jumped out at me. One is... The most obvious is we were told it was shut down in 2012. I don't think anybody believed that. And now we have confirmation. Number two, there seems to be a hint here or an admittance that they're not simply talking about Russian or Chinese technology, that they're leaving the door open to the possibility that this is off world technology. And number three, again, a hint that. There is, or more than a hint perhaps, when we get into Dr. Eric Davis, that there is in the government's possession materials from crashed UFOs in their possession. Three very good points. There's just no doubt about it at all. It seems that the things that you mentioned are all part of this whole orchestration. And the one thing that fascinates me about, uh, and the point that you brought up, is that they're afraid to use the E word. They're sort of dancing around the whole issue. They, they, they say that we don't know where they're from or what kind of technology is involved. But for some reason, the U.S. Navy and the Pentagon and other factions that are releasing this information, they, they don't want to use the extraterrestrial word just yet. And if you look back far enough, even within the last 10 or 15 years, the admission of UFOs at all was not even present in any of the narratives that were coming out of the government at all. It just wasn't present. And then all of a sudden you get the terminology UFO mentioned, and then you get the term uh, UAP mentioned, and then you get the idea that, well, they're just exotic technologies and we don't know where they're from. And they hint it might be China, they hint it might be some other foreign power, but they will not mention, they will not broach the issue of the extraterrestrial presence. And I think it's just a matter of time, Richard, and I think Don will probably agree with me on this one, that they're going to use that word or at least hint at it, that these things, there's no other alternative left but for them to concede that this stuff is off-world. All right, let's uh, welcome Don in. Don Schmidt is the former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years prior to that. He was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek for the International UFO Reporter. Don graduated cum laude from Concordia University with a degree in liberal arts. He's the author of dozens of articles about UFOs, as well as the co-author of a number of best-selling books, uh, including UFO Crash at Roswell and The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. Presently, he's a contributing writer for UFO Magazine and on the board of directors for the International UFO Research Museum 
Don Schmidt, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Richard and Victor, so good to be back with you both again. Don, let me ask the question that I put to Victor. Give me a few initial impressions when you read the July 23rd article in the New York Times from Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene. Well, we were all certainly anxious for, you know, part two, for the follow-up from, you know, the December 17 article. And we've always known that they were sitting on the second part with the disclaimer that the Times was wanting to up the ante that they felt that they needed more than just some Navy gun camera footage to release to the public. And that's why Victor is absolutely correct, this slow drip, that it's as though they are slowly preparing the public, slowly conditioning us to finally accept when they do insert the extraterrestrial word. And I believe that in upping the ante, for the first time, they're actually talking about crash retrieval. They're talking about actually recovered wreckage that they have attempted to reverse engineer. And that in itself may be a bit of a ploy, a continuation on the theme originating back in 1947 at the time of Roswell, in that if you still dangle that carrot that we may be dealing with something Russian or Chinese, well, you take it one step above and you say, well, we have the genuine article. And we are still making every effort to bring it into our own arsenal. We're, we're replicating the technology, so, you know, you better watch your, your P's and Q's, so to speak. To me, I, it comes across as a bit of international gamesmanship as well, because the government, in, especially in the United States, does things, they release things, they, they put out a press releases, mainly for effect. And it's not so much for the American people nowadays, it's more for the global audience. And I believe that's and, why this also is intended for the, you know, America's adversaries, just as much as the American people. Interesting. Now, the program, it seems to have been renamed from ATIP, the mm -hmm. Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Project, to Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. What, yes. what do we take away from that name change? Well, the Air Force, specifically the Air Force, and, you know, for the fact that historically, you know, the United States Air Force had their three special UFO investigative, you know, projects, Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, and even within those particular projects, they were shifting things around. They were, uh, Heineck talked to us, for example, that as a consultant to Blue Book, that the actual investigation, and most people even in ufology aren't aware of the fact that the 4602nd, I was just talking to, to Paul Heineck, his son, the other night about it, and that his dad would constantly mention the fact that it wasn't Blue Book at Wright-Patterson, in Dayton, Ohio, but the 4602nd, which was the Air Intel Squadron, who was part of the Air Defense Command, and that they had a specific mandate to recover crashed foreign aircraft as well as unknown aircraft. So as though this was the group already that was the part of the hunt, the actual recovery of physical evidence beyond Roswell. Because as 
as Richard and, and Vicky, you both know, I, I still maintain it's a cover-up of ignorance, that they still can't find the on button. Uh, here we are 73 years later, and we're still launching rockets. We're still fly, flying jets and, you know, driving, you know, con- conventional internal combustion cars, that type of thing. So uh, there haven't been breakthroughs as, as we would like them to be up to, uh, to this point. But this, this idea of shifting things within respective military and even the Pentagon offices, uh, there, there's nothing unusual about that. I think it's how they play the, play the shell game any time. Uh, and then they, it, it provides them also with plausible deniability that they can deny involvement with one project merely for the fact it's, just, it's been renamed and reassigned to uh, another department. It's like as soon as people, you know, anybody gets close to the to smelling the cheese, they change the name. And it seems that there's a concerted effort by uh, those who, I guess, are conflicted uh, within the black budget programs. I think we can kind of assume that there are certain individuals within the Pentagon or within those who control the black budgets or wherever it might be, the government behind the government, there is a tacit implication that they do want this information out somehow in some way eventually. And as Don alluded to earlier, as soon as they can find the on button to all of this stuff and realize that, no, this is not from other countries, then they go into the mode of the full-spectrum dominance of the, uh, the the project for a new American century where they want to be, when I say they, the United States, wants to be in control of everything that happens in a militaristic way on the planet. And I think they're going to play that same card with the UFO issue. As soon as they can find a way to implement some of these technologies, give them a name, throw them out into the public, and then eventually state that we've got control over everything in the same way that Paul Wolfowitz said, you know, full spectrum dominance on the planet militarily as far as the United States is concerned. I think that's what's behind all that. They want to ensure the United States government wants to ensure that it still has control over all this off world stuff. Now, I'm not sure they can pull that off, but they just might be able to given who's in charge of things when things do get released either fully or partially, and I guess we're almost assuming that we'll never really know the answer to all the questions. It'll always just be a partial disclosure. You couldn't be actually more accurate as far as not only the United States government attempting to maintain control, but let me throw a couple of wrenches, so to speak, into the mix, in that I've long suggested that the one incident that already placed the United States in the driver's seat, so to speak, was Roswell that we had one. We covered as far as an actual crashed uh, UFO back in 1947. I've been to China, I've been to Russia, I've been to Japan, you know, Australia, and I always make it a point to talk to government officials. And one of the things that has always surprised me, whenever I hear of a foreign case, the first question I ask, were there American suits present? And when I hear the affirmative, I know it's a good case. And as a result, I'm, I'm like as far as the Westfall incident down in Australia, very famous incident in 1966 involving all those school children. Why were there American investigators present? Why were there Americans' suits questioning all the children at the time of the incident? Because we're in the driver's seat. Because we're controlling not only as far as the access of the data, but we're also 
uh, as far as controlling its release. Another monkey wrench in all this would be the fact whenever I'm asked, where, Don, where do you think the physical evidence presently is? If Roswell indeed did happen, if they actually have, as far as alien technology in their possession, do they actually have it? Is it in the hands of the United States government? And I would say no. Well, then is it in the hands of the United States military? I say no. I'm of the position that it's within the United States corporate system. Yeah, precisely. Because everything that the government, as far as needs, as far as its functioning, the military, every tank, every ship, every plane, is contracted out into the private sector. And I know Colonel Philip Corso in the book The Day After Roswell talked about the assimilation. Well, we had already talked about that in our book UFO Crash at Roswell, Kevin Randall and myself, that we had leads even within the Pentagon that don't come to us. We don't have the stuff. We lost it years ago. We gave it all out with the hope that they would come back to us with breakthroughs, with uh, as far as successes, as far as breaking the, you know, the extraterrestrial code, so to speak, and now it's gone. Victor, you made the comment that the new order within the military, they want this to come out. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I've heard this now for decades because they're just screaming for disclosure because they feel they're flaying around in the dark. And one of the main problems is also the fact that it, at least it's their belief that the old order has not passed it down to the new, that there was a cutoff, that much of that testing, much of the results, the early potential breakthroughs that happened after Roswell, all at once were cut off. They ran into a brick wall, and they decided whether, and we know the, the story of the Robertson panel and then the failings all the way through Project Blue Book, that they had no answers. It was a cover-up of ignorance. And so there is this barrier, this wall, this obstacle that all the new personnel in the Pentagon are now trying to play catch-up. They're going back in history and going, why weren't we told about this? How come we didn't know about this? How come we didn't know that this phenomenon has been here for all these decades? And just like Blue Book, when it was declassified, where were all the Navy reports? Army, Marine Corps. It's 99% Air Force. And yet we know the Navy was having actually more profound, you know, cases than the Air Force. Where are all those reports? Mm -hmm. All right, gentlemen, we've got to take a time out. We'll come back and uh, delve further into uh, this latest New York Times article. This one, again, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, no longer in shadows. Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network is with us, as well as Roswell investigator Donald R. Schmidt. The article from the New York Times says that retired officials involved with the effort, including Harry Reid, who was the former Senate Majority Leader, hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles from other worlds. Its main focus is on discovering whether another nation, especially any potential adversary, is using breakout aviation technology that could threaten the United States. But let's focus on that first point. Harry Reid and other officials involved hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles 
from other worlds. Those other officials are not named. I'm guessing Luis Elizondo would be one. Uh, Any idea who else inside the program is hoping that they're going to look for evidence of vehicles from other worlds? Well, I would like to believe that certainly Dr. Eric Davis, Dr. Hal Putoff, Robert Bigelow, Bigelow Aerospace, those that have been, aside from Bigelow, who has been very silent on the situation ever since his 60 Minutes interview on CBS uh, a number of years ago. But uh, the others have been very publicly vocal. And speaking out, and especially with the unidentified show now on the History Channel, and their meetings in Italy and down in Brazil, with the South American officials, again, demonstrating that they're trying to put together a global coalition of not only ufologists but scientists who feel that the day of reckoning is at hand, that if the United States, and especially the Air Force, I'd like to believe that the Navy itself is finally fed up with the fact that the Air Force has speaking for them, for all these years, on a subject that they had just as many profound experiences involving their pilots and then their ships and uh, facilities around the world, and yet they have been kept in the dark all this time. I mean, we need to keep in mind that they were briefing. The Department of Defense was briefing, you know, giving classified briefings to congressional committees on the subject for decades. And I can't believe they were just talking about the recent sightings. I mean, each meeting, each briefing had to, you know, elevate itself to the point that, okay, what are we doing about this? And I think these congressmen had to be constantly asking, at one point, are we going to be honest with the public? When are we going to disclose the reality of what we're dealing with here. Otherwise, they're just uh, they're, they're reverting back to what Blue Book and Grudge and Sign did, you know, 50 years ago. And that was taking us nowhere. So I totally agree with both of you that, and I think for the, because they have raised the ante by especially and specifically talking about crash retrievals, that they are acknowledging that they may actually have physical evidence in hand. To that point, Don, and uh, Victor, in a follow-up piece, Ralph and Leslie Kane wrote, I guess it was the next day, do we believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. And in that article, they talk about how they were provided a series of unclassified slides showing that the program took this seriously enough to include it in numerous briefings. One slide says one of the program's tasks was to arrange for access to data reports materials from crash retrievals or AAVs, advanced aerospace vehicles. Crash retrievals mentioned specifically. I'll get both of you to comment on that. Well, I I think uh, to add a name to Don's list regarding people who want to see this, people in, uh, in high places that want to see this stuff examined more closely. If you followed the CNN interview of former Deputy Secretary of Defense, Chris Mellon, he Absolutely. is very careful with his words, extremely careful with the way he articulates 
to the star's position on on this whole thing. And he was asked the question exactly that, Richard, about foreign materials, for lack of a better term, or crashed vehicles. I don't think that was the word that was used. I think foreign materials. In any case, he was cagey enough to say, well, that line of thinking, that line of reason, reasoning is not something that we can disregard. We need to, it's, it's worth investigation. That's as far as he's going to go. And I think that that's the way this whole program, uh, sort of slow leak or slow drip, is, is progressing. No one wants to come out and say it. But implicitly, everything that Don just mentioned earlier, implicitly what they're saying when they say crashed vehicles from unknown places in the cosmos or however, however you want to put it, they're implicitly suggesting, and they're this far away from saying, that it's extraterrestrial. Now, how much more evidence, how much more dialogue, how much more discourse, how many more leaks are we going to go through until someone says, okay, I give up, hands up, this this stuff is not of this earth. It's from off-world civilizations. And that's the next thing that I'm looking for. And I think part of what was going on uh, with uh, with the Wilson document that Richard Dolan uh, has been talking about uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Davis, this is all part of how the crashed retrieval uh, scenario is unfolding. And you can bet that people like Hal Putoff, and he was asked directly uh, by, by Richard Dolan, what about this crash retrieval stuff? And Hal Putoff wrote back, he said, we can't comment on stuff like that with the U.S. government programs, which they've been so open, and then all of a sudden Hal Putoff says, well, we really can't comment on it. So they're skirting the issue yet they're forcing it forward. And it, it's sort of a, a very complex a scenario that's happening. It's like a push and pull, almost like a tug of war among these people that are trying to get this information out, but they just don't know how to do it properly at this point. I think that's the point that I'd like to make. I don't know if they can do it properly. Totally correct, Victor, in that uh, there's no handbook. There's nothing in their playbook. Right. I think that's one of the reasons in going back to 1947 that they decided as quickly as they did that they needed room, they needed time to make such a decision. So the best thing they could do is come up with a counter story and hope that the press slash public would buy it, would accept it. And as a result, it's provided them with 73 years to come up with such a program just for disclosure. And I think the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle is just the chain of command, the fact that, that this gets passed down as far as from department to department and individual to individual. And as a result, there is no consistency. There have been so many carrots that have been dangled. And going all the way back to Dr. Heineck, I think back to how often he would be you know, rushed out of his home during the middle of the night and down to WGN down in Chicago, you know, their big superstation, that there was going to be some eminent release from Washington, that uh, they were on standby, that they were placed on alert, that something was forthcoming. And every, each and every time the rug would be pulled out, and nothing, nothing. But this is different because they can't very well at this point claim, well, We've recovered Chinese wreckage. We've recovered Russian wreckage. Well, my God, foreign technology at Wright Pad has been recovering Russian MiGs for decades. Nothing new here. They have so upped the ante, I don't see how the fact that for the first time, and I, I, I say this to your entire audience, this is the first time they have actually suggested that they have 
technology from off the planet in their possession. First time, never been as far as announced in, to any degree in the past. Well, further to that, we mentioned the AAVs. And I go back again to the Blumenthal Keen follow-up to their July 23rd article titled, Do We Believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. And they write, our sources told us that, quote, AAVs do not refer to vehicles made in any country, not Russian or Chinese, Mm -hmm. but is used to mean technology in the realm of the truly unexplained. They also assure us that their briefings are based on facts, not belief. As you both know, we have, since our initial investigation of Roswell, we have referred to the crash as the recovery of a craft of unknown origin. We don't even go so far as to declare it extraterrestrial. Craft of unknown origin. And Luis Elizondo, and I'd like to believe that he's flattering us by just a little bit of a a change of wording of that description, but he uses the terminology object of undetermined origin. So nonetheless, we're talking about something that crashed here from off the planet. I believe, and I think you both would agree with me, that uh, we may be on the precipice. We may be at, uh, at the brink. And we ourselves have to be prepared because there is only a handful of people within the media that even understand and comprehend what we're talking about. All right, we'll take a quick time out, come back and expand further on this uh, remarkable revelation. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, Victor Vigiani, Don Schmidt, stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network, Zeland Communications, and Don Schmidt, Roswell investigator, best-selling author. Uh, as we continue to unpack this uh, mind-blowing, really, uh, New York Times article, July twenty-third, twenty twenty, Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal, and uh, this is a, a the much-anticipated, uh, um, long-awaited follow-up to their. December 2017 article in the New York Times in which the secret Pentagon UFO program was first revealed. And and now in this article, they're saying what many of us, most of us probably uh, long suspected, the program didn't stop in 2012. It seems like they kicked it upstairs to the Office of Naval Intelligence. They gave it a new name uh, and then they continued on. Uh, per usual. So uh, let me throw it over to Victor Vigiani for a question. Well, I think what we're at a point now in the discussion, I think it's important to to make the leap from uh, the, 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 the Blumenthal and, and Kane article and the implications of it and, and move into how this information is becoming public. And by public, I mean that in, in two strains. And if you just bear with me here, uh, what I think is really significant is that 
the the bubble of the UFO research community uh, is, is one thing. We when we talk about this, we can we can pretty well summarize things. We all kind of know what we're talking about when we talk about UAP and you know the government disclosure and all the tentacles to the UFO ET issue. That's something that we can talk about very very easily. There's really not a, a big problem. We all understand what we're talking about. However, there is a constituency out there that a does has no idea what's really going on or they may have heard the term ufo they may have heard all of that before but don't know exactly what it's all about that is beginning to change and it's changed now because of the intelligence authorization act for the fiscal year 2021 and mark uh, marco rubio uh, a, a senator has come up uh, with this whole and his committee on the intelligence, the Select Committee of on Intelligence in the in the, in the Senate, uh, has come up with this this act, which they do every year. It's an expenditure sort of uh, process. But in the act, he mentions directly that the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence is demanding, and requesting, not just just requesting, but demanding information about reports on UAP. He's got that language in the act, and that in and of itself is an absolute game buster. For that kind of language to appear in an official legislative document that will be passed, because it has to be passed one way or another uh, by, by the Senate, that to, to me and to a lot of people within this whole UFO uh, community, that is the sealing of the deal, the imprimatur that's given the government permission and everybody else within the government to talk about this stuff openly because it's now in legislation. And all of the intelligence committees have been required to report within 180 days after this thing is passed on data about unidentified flying objects or UAP, whatever you want to call them. Now, I don't know how Don would react to that statement about <laughs> exactly how I feel about it, but I think that's the next game changer here to allow this to get into the legislative branch of the government. It could be. It could be. Except I'm being a little bit more cautiously guarded in that at the present, no one except uh, Senator Rubio is on the record for support of the measure. And so then the concern is, will there even be a report prepared? Will we ever hear or see the report? And because of the whole COVID situation, that everything is moving at such a snail's pace, President in Washington, that they're not meeting the way they normally would, and they're not in contact as they, they should be. Uh, they would they'd be required to have, you know, more hearings during this particular period of time. And uh, that Senator Rubio, he chose a very efficient way to proceed, but it has potential pitfalls. And let's just hope that... Uh, he'll he'll seek out guidance, and he'll get uh, as far as uh, answers from appropriate people how to proceed on this, because we all know and we've all had experiences, especially and we all remember certainly the citizens hearing in 2013. And I love the fact that uh, one of the people we uh, we, we spent a good amount of time speaking with was a reporter from the Times, from the New York Times. And then, there, I mean, right after, he wrote up a very supportive article on the, on the, on the hearings. So, in many ways, I like to believe that that 
as much as we were disappointed that it didn't receive all the publicity, the press attention it should have, that it sparked something, especially within those former senators and Congress people who we testified before, and the fact that they stayed interested in the subject thereafter. And so I'm hoping that they're even talking to former colleagues. Should we proceed? Should we go ahead with this? Because too often in the past, and as I've met, you know, with senators and congressmen in the past with all types of assurances and promises, and then nothing happened. So Rubio, because he's gone public on this, he's going to have to present as far as a final report. And I just hope he gets Uh others to, to, uh, as far as go on the record in support of the measure. All right. We uh, are up against a break here. We'll, um, speaking of the citizens hearing, we will be hearing from a member in the second hour when Dr. Joseph Buckman uh, joins us. And uh, the other thing that Rubio mentioned that I thought was interesting is that this is why this is of serious concern. And that is uh, he, he just came out and he said it because these unidentified objects are flying over military bases. Uh, so now we have the national security issue at play here. Uh, we will uh, we'll be back in a moment with more. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, uh, Victor and Don, let me get your reaction to this. And again, I'm, I'll crib from the uh, New York Times article, July 23rd, 2020. No longer in shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. Mr. Reed, the former Democratic senator from Nevada who pushed for funding the earlier UFO program when he was the majority leader, said he believed that crashes of objects of unknown origin may have occurred and that retrieve material should be studied. After looking into this, he said, I came to the conclusion that there were reports some were substantive, some not so substantive, that there were actual materials from the government and the private sector had in their possession, Mr. Reed said in an interview. Let me get you to both weigh in on that. You note that in all of these discussions, they continue to talk about wreckage. They have yet to suggest that we have an intact, you know, ship, for example, a UFO. They keep talking about wreckage. They keep talking about debris. They talk about having, you know, uh, physical material that's been uh, tested. And as a result, the one case that I hearken back to, and I'm sorry that we talk about a tremendous amount of debris, of wreckage, would be Roswell. And so... The coincidence, the, the timing in all of this, and the, the suggestion that, well, some of this is serendipitous, it's coincidence that people are just talking about this because there's not much else to distract us from the whole COVID-19 predicament, that type of thing. But let's also uh, keep in mind, politics aside, that when Donald Trump Jr. brought Roswell up in his interview for the Father's Day, and his father didn't just laugh and wave it off as well. The, you know, the Air Force says that's nothing more than a, a balloon, you know, a, a weather balloon, Project Mogul, that type of thing. 
And he became very serious and suggested that, you know, thousands of people are constantly, you know, asking him that question, specifically about Roswell, and that uh, all these people that go to Roswell, New Mexico, because something very strange happened there, and then questioned whether he would release anything regarding the incident, and he said he'd have to think about it. Well, there's some there there. I guess that's what we always come back to. There is something to disclose. There's, 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 after now all these years, there's something that they haven't told us before. Otherwise, they still wouldn't be searching for answers. It's really something, Don, that you should mention that because it always loops back to Roswell, doesn't it? Or, or other kinds of crashes, but specifically Roswell and, and whatever those materials were and whatever materials were obtained by other crashes. So it, it does loop back to Roswell all of the time. And expanding on that kind of information, whether or not the United States has debris that's off-world or has gone so far as to, to uh, develop the technology uh, regarding uh, how these things work, or at least being able to understand a little bit about it, or even develop a craft that acts similar to some of these UAP. I mean, that to me is, 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 is the crunch issue here. Do we have that technology and is it workable? And I, I've got to go back to Rubio here for a second because I think this fellow, he's, he's playing his cards very cagey, like, like a lot of the other people. But in a legislative d domain, what I think he's doing, he's, he wants to come out now and be on the right side of history because he knows or senses what's going on or someone has told him what's going on. So he's come out doing what he's done. The interview that he, that he actually uh, uh, said these things are flying over our military bases, et cetera, et cetera. This fellow kind of knows what's going on. He's been told something, and he wants to get out there ahead of the curve and be on the right side of history so that when other legislators come up and say, and ask him or the committee, how long has this been going on and why don't I know about it? And that all he can do is say, well, you know what? I told you so. And then we go from there because the legislators will have to backtrack to things like what Don just mentioned. They're going to have to go back to Roswell and rethink that whole issue. So what's really happening here is when things began in 2017 to come out in the way they did and then going back to the uh, initiation of the of the money the $22 million that uh, you know, Reid absconded with from the Senate to, to have this program started. This all comes into the whole mix. And eventually when people, the legislators, get to see what's really gone on, I mean, the, the, the farmland has already been sown. The seeds are in the ground and the, and the plants are coming to germination and they're, they're growing very, very quickly. And someone's going to pick up on it. And I think Rubio has done that in, one, in, in a very important way. And um, you just said, you may, Victor, yeah. and as I alluded to before, that the best thing that Rubio can do for himself is not play this politically, because too often they rely on consultation with uh, their colleagues within mm -hmm. the legislature, and uh, they get nothing but political advice. Best thing that Rubio, right. and you're, you're, you're absolutely correct, uh, Victor, is to talk to people in the know get briefed on this subject as, as extensively as you can and make an educated decision that, as you say, that he will be on the right side for all of history. You mentioned uh, Eric Davis earlier, and uh, we should point out that he, he worked as a subcontractor for this Pentagon UFO program since 2007. And uh, he said that in some cases, 
examination of the materials had so far failed to determine their source and led him to conclude we can't we couldn't make it ourselves. Uh, and then uh, Davis, who who now works for Aerospace Corporation, this is a defense contractor. He said he gave a classified briefing to a defense department agency as recently as March about retrievals from, quote, off-world vehicles mm. not made on this earth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quick comment from both of you on that. Well, it's in the fact that he's also, you know, suggesting that the technology is beyond our comprehension. We, we talk about just uh, human arrogance, again, the idea that we would ever acquire something that may be so advanced Light years ahead of us, and that we immediately can get in the you know get in the driver's seat like Will Smith in Independence Day, and fly that thing, or in or comprehend or understand as far as the molecular composition of this material, and that it could take us decades, it could take us hundreds of years to get to that point, but nonetheless we still have it in our possession, and it's not ours. But how do you break that to the public? How do you finally announce the fact, we know they're there, they've been coming here, we have one, but we don't know where they're from, what they are, what their intentions are, but vote for me come next election, you know, that type of thing. I think Don's correct on that point. Uh, I'd like to make another point about the the, the Wilson and um, uh, Dr. Davis situation in the way this information come out uh, or has come out in the past. Um, and, and the origins of this document that uh, that Eric Davis got during his briefing of, 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 um, of uh, I guess, as the Vice Admiral Wilson, the way it came out, the source, as far as I know, the people that I've spoken to uh, about the way this thing came out, all goes back to Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And finding these pieces of information, not, not pieces of, of craft, pieces of information about what these craft might have been representing, the, the, the materials that they might have been representing. And uh, Dr. Mitchell, in forwarding this information uh, to people in the know, he is very central to all of this, and I think that's going to be important when we eventually get to the point of the discussion or the narrative within the, the legislatures of an astronaut of the stature of Dr. Edgar Mitchell uh, comes out, that information comes out, and that lends a credibility to uh, the National Institute of Discovery Science that, uh, that Dr. Dr. Mitchell founded. So that's all going to backtrack again, very similar to Roswell in the fact that they're going to have to go back in history in, our, in order to understand exactly why and how this information came out. And that's going to lend a, a great amount of credibility to the way uh, this is all unfolding. And I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, that that's the way the legislators are going to have to see this thing through that lens of the, of the Mitchell experience and, and uh, through Davis and Wilson. All right. And when we come back on the other side... We, we will drill down a little bit on on for those not in the know what that Wilson, uh, Vice Admiral yeah. Wilson document yeah. was all about, which involved Dr. Davis. Uh, in the meantime, we thank uh, Don R. Schmidt for dropping by once again, and uh, the well, website RoswellInvestigator.com. And as Victor just describing, as far as Edgar Mitchell, we've come right back to Roswell because he was a staunch proponent, advocate of Roswell. He stated without a doubt that it really happened. In fact, he, he lived there. He was there at the time of the incident when this all went down. If I may just quickly, uh, former CIA director Alan Dulles, 
he was really very notorious, but he, he bragged, he used to talk about, and I quote him, if you want to keep a secret, then pretend to share it, end quote. Let's uh-huh. hope that well, that's, that's not what's happening right excellent. now. Excellent. Excellent point. Is, is All right, great way to put a, uh, a great way to put a ribbon on this hour. Thank you again, Don. My pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Victor stays with us back on the other side with Dr. Joseph Buckman. Stay with us. 